Paz. Slavo, how are you today? I'm doing well. You know, it's nice outside. I'm with my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're uh, we're enjoying the beautiful landscape, <laughs> like uh, like our subject of our podcast today. Yes, he he tended to do back in the uh, back in the late 19th century. Yes, our our subject is Vincent Van Gogh, mm-hmm. the Dutch painter. Yeah, and as our friends uh, across the pond in Britain call him Vincent van Gogh, in Dutch he's known as Vincent van Gogh. <laughs> in the French, it's uh, Vincent van Gogh. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> I actually don't know how the French pronounce it, but I just want to, before we even get into our notions about van Gogh, I just mm-hmm. want to apologize <laughs> to you and our listeners in advance for the fact that. There's a lot. I, I've taken French classes back back in school, and uh, there's a lot of French names in here. I'm going to butcher the pronunciations. I'll do my best. Yeah. And, and while I'm, we're apologizing, I feel like I'm not I'm not really an art person, so I also you know I, I won't be giving you that perspective. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I do wish that we had like a good art background <laughs> so that we could really critically address. <laughs> Van Gogh's style, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's not the case. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is not, not going to be that podcast. So, if you are an art student, maybe try somewhere else. So, what did you think about Van Gogh before before you started any research? When you thought Vincent Van Gogh, what popped into your head? Yeah, I think I knew very little. I knew he was a painter. I knew he had the whole cut off ear and give it to a girl thing going on, and like maybe he was one of the Ninja Turtles. Like, that was all I knew. Very little. One of the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Which one? I don't remember their names. I just know, like, <laughs> if you're a famous, famous artist, like, you want to be a Ninja Turtle. I think they were all Italian, the okay. Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Um, Raphael, yeah. Michelangelo, yeah. Yeah. Donatello. <laughs> Damn it. That's pretty I've got, good. I've got the last one. Van Gogh. <laughs> Vincent. Actually, in French, I think it would be Vincent mm. because they don't pronounce the the hard T's at the end, so it would be Vincent Van Gogh. Whew. Yeah, sounds good. As far as what I knew about him, I I knew that uh, he kind of went crazy. Oh yeah, that was uh, he's known for his insanity, and then of course the ear cutting off, and then maybe that he did self portraits as well. I can kind of mm-hmm. visualize like one Van Gogh painting. Mm-hmm. I also just misattributed a bunch of different paintings to him. <laughs> <laughs> like what at one ones? point, at one point, I was thinking Mona Lisa was him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But his most famous painting is probably Starry Night. Yes, I did know that one, and that is a very cool looking painting. Yeah, very cool, very cool, very vibrant, which is uh, indicative of his later career. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain mood with that painting, but. So let's get started going through Vincent's Vincent's uh, life. He was born in 1853 in Zundert, Netherlands. For some reason, I thought he was French, which doesn't really make sense because the van in his name, I guess it, it, it doesn't necessarily preclude you from being French, but... I see that. He's, he's I feel Dutch. Like, you know, I mean, he spent some time there, so maybe that's why we had that, that thought. His father's name was Theodorus Van Gogh. And he was a minister of the Dutch Reformed Church. And his mother was Anna Cornelia Carbentus. And she was from a wealthy family. The Van Gogh family were known for being art dealers. So his brother Theo, or Theo, as it may have been, <laughs> as it may have been actually called, uh, was an art dealer. And I think his father was an art dealer for some time. Yeah, I, th- I thought his mom painted or was an artist of sorts as well. Yeah, it's a very popular profession in the family. He had two brothers, three sisters. He was named after his uh, grandfather on his dad's side, and unfortunately, he had a a brother who was he who was born stillborn one year before him, who also had the name Vincent Van Gogh. So they yeah. used the name. No, yeah. Not only did he have the same name, they were born on the same day, <laughs> or the same yeah same day. Obviously, not the same year. Good clarification. Wild. (laughs) So Van Gogh is a kid. Sign of things to come, perhaps. (laughs) He was uh, he was very deep thinking, which which can be a good thing. Very serious. He took to drawing at a young age. 
later described his youth as austere and cold and sterile, <laughs> which is uh, it, he had he had a normal childhood. It wasn't that it necessarily he had a, a depressing life. It was mm-hmm. more that he was just kind of a a cold. Yeah, a, a lot going on in his mind nowadays. He would probably be called gothic or emo. <laughs> but yeah, he definitely. I don't know about that. Emo is more of like I feel like emo. Uh, maybe. So, so I think if he lived now, that's what he would be. Um, but I think he was just you know sad. Sad, very emotional, very smart, knew a lot of languages. I don't know when he learned them, but he knew like three, four, maybe more languages. And it was just a lot going on in his head. So around 20 years old, he was he was basically as, as wealthy as, as he was ever going to be. Oh, yeah. I think he was making more money than his dad at that point. He was, he was 20 years old. He's an art dealer. He's doing the family profession doing very well for himself, lived in London for a while, and then things kind of took a turn for him, and this is kind of a pattern for him, (laughs) is he fell for a girl, and then it didn't work out, and it led to sort of a life change. So Mm -hmm. he gave up art dealing and and became religious and and tried to become a pastor. Yeah, and this girl didn't just say no. I'm pretty sure she basically grabbed his shoulders looked at him in the face and was like, get it through your head. We will never be in love, or I will never love you. And I I, I think there was more than one girl who had to say that because he was so persistent. He was very persistent. Yeah, He was very, um, it was kind of like the star-crossed lovers, but kind of a (laughs) one-way thing (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) It was like Romeo and Juliet, except Juliet just happened to be the neighbor and... (laughs) Didn't actually love Romeo. <laughs> that's uh, that's like a stalker. <laughs> but I mean, we won't say he was a stalker, but he yeah. was uh, a lot of passion. Yeah, he he was a very passionate fellow. So he went to Belgium as a missionary after working some odd jobs in his twenties, and then eventually in 1981. So he's in his kind of late mid to late twenties. He goes back back to the Netherlands. Yeah, eighteen eighty one. I said nineteen eighty one. Just to be sure, no one's like, "Oh, he was fucking born twenty years <laughs> yeah. ago." That's a good point. Yeah, eighteen eighty one goes back to the, the Netherlands, and he starts to hang out with his recently widowed cousin, Key Voss Stricker, and fell in love with her. Was rejected. I like to think it was because they were first cousins, but it was not. <laughs> they said that the the number one reason why it wasn't going to work out for them was because he was he was broke and kind of a failure, so he was not a very good suitor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the f- a famous story from this is he barges into his uncle's house and demands to speak to his cousin slash love interest <laughs> and puts his finger over the flame and is like, I will only speak to her as long as I can hold my finger over this flame. And I think the uncle just blew the candle out. But that's the, the famous story. <laughs> that's very anticlimactic. <laughs> it's probably for a long time if, the, <laughs> yeah. if there was no flame. Yeah. 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 And then just to get back to this Van Gogh with woman, I feel like there's a parallel between the way he pursued art and the way he pursued his love interests, mm. where he just did a full send. And even though he's not getting a lot of positive reinforcement in terms of art, not a lot of people are buying his paintings or admiring his paintings in terms of his love interest. They're showing no affection back, and they're pushing him off. But regardless, he just keeps pursuing them. Yeah, even after one of the girls was like, I never want to be with you, in a letter to his brother Theo, which he wrote a lot of letters to Theo, Mm -hmm. but in a letter he was like, do I give up on her if I think she's the love of my life, even though she 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 wants nothing to do with him? So he's just very, like... He gets set on this thing, whether it's art or a girl, and just pursues it at all cost. Yeah, and I think in the case of art, that is uh, very commendable of him. Yeah. I think in the case of, uh, <laughs> of his love interest, I, I I can't say that that is a, a translatable. <laughs> we, we necessarily want people to be doing that. Uh, yeah. uh, so, but... It, a lot of times he was a victim of his own of his own mind. So mm, yeah, uh, yeah. So one of his flaws. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more in that case. 
yeah, flaws in one case, and in terms of art, you know, maybe one of his strengths. So he was taken in by a st- Anton Mauve as a student for Anton Mauve, who introduced him to oil painting in 1881. Mauve was was an established he, and this is something interesting about Van Gogh was that he was he was talented enough that established painters wanted to work with him or were willing to work with him but they didn't necessarily like him and personally and they didn't necessarily like the way that he went about his business Mm -hmm. i mean he had a lot of personal conflicts with basically everyone he interacted with (laughs) but no it is worth noting that a lot of well-established admired artists really respected his work at the time Mm -hmm. he just he wasn't he the general public hadn't come around to it yet yes yes that is true so one thing that annoyed Mauve about Van Gogh was that he would hire random people as models and he would sleep with prostitutes and he would hire prostitutes as models and there was a, a large gray area when it came to modeling for Van Gogh and prostitution and it was just kind of sleazy I think it was considered at the time I think Mauve kind of thought the the painting and the models was more of uh, a profe- uh, professional thing to be doing, and Van Gogh kind of blended personal with with business in that in that case. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it can get a little sketchy there uh, with blending um, maybe prostitution with them being a model. Like <laughs> if that's the form of payment, I, I could see how it could get a little. It, I mean, obviously, I don't know if it was necessarily that. He was paying them separate transactions, or if that he, he was it. Exa- who, who, thing this is, is the gray area. Know. Yeah, <laughs> the thing is that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess, kind of pig, pigtailing on the uh, is pigtailing a term? Did I just make that up? Sounds right to me. I, I don't know what it means. I don't know where it comes from. But dovetailing is that what I was trying to say? I'm gonna. I'm gonna place my vote in pigtailing. It might be dovetailing. Though, I <laughs> I'm going to switch it to dovetailing. So dovetailing, <laughs> dovetailing off of, off of the gray area, I think maybe we can touch on the fact that Van Gogh was not a very healthy person. We'll, we'll go more into his mental health, but he also didn't really eat well at, at all. His brother Theo would send him money, and he would... Um, he would spend it on models, and he would spend it on art supplies, and he wouldn't spend any of it on food. Yeah. And he was a big drinker as well. Yeah. And um, definitely had gonorrhea at one point. <laughs> May have had syphilis <laughs> at another point. Yeah. Uh, so not a particularly healthy guy through his uh, through his twenties. No, and and definitely the money he received from Theo a lot of times went straight straight to art, despite that at times he was malnourished and. But his highest priority was his art. So uh, two more, two more love interest tales from the early 1880s. Sien, mm-hmm. who was a girl that he fell in love with, she she was a prostitute and had a five year old daughter, which at the time was not accepted by his family. He was in love with her. Then she got pregnant with their child, and then he ran away basically, <laughs> and yeah, got depressed and mm-hmm. went home. Yeah, so this story kind of tugged at my heartstrings a little bit because he comes into her life. She already has a five-year-old daughter. He gets her pregnant, you know, kind of wants to marry her. The family doesn't support it. And so then eventually he leaves, and Cien has to give her children up to her family members. She goes back, goes back into prostitution, and eventually commits suicide by walking into a river and, and drowning herself. And so it's just kind of of all of this, and Van Gogh himself is a tragic story. This was a like a within his tragic story, she obviously had her own very tragic story. And it kind of tugged at the heartstrings. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. That's that's yeah. very sad. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, that's very sad. And then in uh, another person who attempted suicide was a neighbor in the Netherlands. <laughs> oh boy! We're just gonna we're just gonna try to try to touch on all the the sad stuff 
but then, uh, I mean, it just keeps going with Van Gogh. He was a, yeah, he, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a sad, he's a sad story. So, but we'll we'll get through it. He had a neighbor who the daughter of the family fell in love with Van Gogh. The families wouldn't let them marry, and she attempted suicide as well. So tragic, a pattern of tragedy, tragedy for sure. Yeah. So let's touch on. Theo, who's his who's his brother. Theo was an art dealer and he was probably Van Gogh's best friend, we would say. Maybe his only true friend that that he ever really had. He kinda they had a working relationship as well. Vincent would do paintings and then Theo would sell the paintings and try to get him into exhibits and because he was an art dealer by trade. So he would he would kinda work with Vincent. Yeah, he, he was a, a pretty successful art dealer as well, just like Vincent was earlier. And, yeah, he supported Vincent, and Vincent gave him the rights to a lot of the paintings to sell, which uh, Theo never really saw that profit. And, yeah, Vincent... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, never really... Never really uh... <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it, Vincent wrote so many letters to Theo, and they weren't... You know, letters in the sense of, my dearest brother Theo, how is our dear mother? They were like personal diaries, honestly, where Vincent would be like, my deep, darkest angst led me to create this latest painting. They, they, were, they were very diaries, and this is a great collection that uh, a lot of biographers and people looking at Vincent van Gogh's life can kind of peek into his mental state and what's going on in his head. So the the diaries slash letters the, the that's kind of what helped make van gogh famous was the that these were published sometime after his death because theo held on to everything yeah van gogh didn't or um vincent didn't hold on to pretty much anything but that theo sent him but what vincent sent to theo theo held on to everything and then it was actually published after van gogh's death and that kind of led to his rise in popularity yeah i was wondering that how much of his letters and his persona as this tragic artist, you know, plays into his fame beyond just the works of art. It was huge, specifically like right after his de- right after his death, and well, in the case of the letters, they were they were released twenty five years after he died, and that yeah. was where he became the most famous. Mm-hmm. Was after the letters because that was where he got that reputation of the the mentally anguished artist. Who, who that real persona of the artist driving themselves to insanity in the search of perfection. Yeah. The letters really emphasized that, and, mm-hmm. and that was really what propelled a lot of the reason that we know his name now is because of that image that was promoted by the letters that he was writing to Theo. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of people who, or Vincent van Gogh and his fame flourishing after his death do we want to get into the first segment <laughs> yeah let's we do, do it, it? all right um, you were giving me a look you were giving me a look right there i was like <laughs> i want to know where this is going i, I like it get yeah, into it this is, so this segment was a trade-off names of people whose fame blew up after they died blew up in the sense, you know expanded flourished their fame after they died uh, do, you want to go first it's your segment so I'll let you go first. I feel like there's an absolute home run that is going to get taken off the board first, and I'm in, I'm interested to know what I do when you take it. <laughs> okay, I don't know if this is who you're thinking of, but uh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't who I was thinking of at all, but it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, so here... Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was famous, right? Jesus was definitely famous while he was alive, according to uh, the Gospels. <laughs> but he dies and then founds this religion that 2,000 years later, you know, X percent of the population adheres to and is one of the most recognizable names. And he's, you know, <laughs> the, like the ultimate martyr, like the most well-known martyr. So I, I would say, <laughs> I'm curious who yours I think I might, maybe I know who yours is, but... <laughs> And now we, his birthday is like loosely 
or his like made up birthday is loosely related to a huge celebration of Christmas that just everyone loves to, you know, get married. I'm and not share denying presents. that Jesus isn't famous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's very well known. I just, I guess I didn't really think of him because, because I, I just kind of presumed that he was well known in his life. But I guess, the, I mean, the Bible wasn't written when Jesus was alive. No, so. but yeah, he was certainly, I mean, who knows? But he, he was, if <laughs> he was probably well known. At the time, but but definitely, fame, yeah. his popularity skyrocketed after death as his mm-hmm. as the stories of his life yeah. spread. Balls in your court, Sabo. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> this is gonna be embarrassing, though. William Shakespeare. <laughs> oh, that's not that's not not who I was thinking. So you think you thought that was the obvious choice? Now that I think about it, maybe it wasn't the obvious choice. Shakespeare, I thought, was was a pretty big one because mm. his plays were became famous after after death. And Shakespeare is someone who is uh, is wildly popular in the theater in modern times. And his plays didn't really become popular until it was in the eighteen no the sixteen sixties, where there was a English civil war and the Puritans took over the government and when they took over government they banned long plays and all English plays were really long at the time so they banned long plays and so the actors in the theaters they would do portions of shorter plays and they typically went with comedies because it did better that was where Shakespeare's plays were put to use was because they had kind of shorter you could you could parse them up so that they were they were one of the only things that was legal to perform at the time so then when longer plays were allowed again Shakespeare had this kind of underground following and that was how he propelled into popularity interesting yeah i i didn't i, I didn't know he became f- more popular after also isn't there some theory that he never even existed and right along there with Jesus like that he may have been made up. I, I I don't know. I haven't like looked into the theory, like but I always Illuminati heard that rumor type stuff that he was. It was like the idea of is that like a bread and circus type thing? Maybe, or, or it was like a pen name from like a lot of people, or it was like a government thing. I I don't know. This is just who, who knows. Let's uh <laughs> let's put a bookmark in that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to I, it. I, 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 heard I, that. I don't know. I don't know too much about that, but I feel like I've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so. I really feel like I really feel like an idiot now. I thought Shakespeare was like this home run, and now I like I don't even know why. Yeah. Okay. So who 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 I thought you might have been thinking of is Tupac, uh, Tupac Shakur, Shakur. And uh, again, uh, yes, he was very <laughs> oh, famous. He was very famous when he was alive, and I think there was a lot of other rappers like this. Um, I think recently, like XXX Temptation, I didn't really know who he was until he died, and then the, the fame came, but. Tupac was, I think he was famous during his time, but I think when he supposedly died, hopefully he's in the Caribbean, you know, making good off his now unbelievable fame. But I believe Tupac's celebrity skyrocketed uh, after he died. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Tupac was extremely famous. Fair, fair, fair. (laughs) It's like Biggie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if I take Biggie, is that just to cancel you out? <laughs> I want to see who you have next. Um, I'm going to go with Gregor Mendel. Gregor Mendel. Okay, so who is this? He was a geneticist, famous geneticist, pioneered genetics back in the back in the 1880s. 18, I could be wrong exactly on the dates, but the mid to late 1800s, and. Uh, a real theme of me just being very loose with dates today, but uh, he died in 1884, and then uh, genetics as a science didn't really become popular until the 19-teens, so I think he was kind of viewed as like a, like a kook back in the 1800s, and why are you looking <laughs> at me like that? No, continue, continue. <laughs> Is it because I said kook? No, 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 no. I think that's like a. I, I've got another one after this that's very similar. <laughs> okay. So I. Um. So he was. He wasn't taken seriously. And then. Yeah. <laughs> who do you have? Do you want me to go? Yeah. I okay. Okay. Go. Well, first of all, who who was that? 
<laughs> Gregor Mendel. So I, I don't know who it is. <laughs> How famous can he be? I mean, Gregor Mendel. I think I think a lot of our learned, <laughs> learned or educated, <laughs> our learned listeners are, uh, are were thinking Gregor Mendel. Okay. And then I said it, and they said, Slavo, great choice. <laughs> That's who I had at number two. P- potentially. Um, so a similar scientist, I don't think respected in his time, Galileo. Was he not respected in his time? No, I, I think he had the vision that the world was round, and people were like, no, dude, is flat. And then years mm-hmm. later, he's this icon. And when the astronauts landed on the moon, they, you know— Drop a hammer or a feather, and they land on the same ground, and proving Galileo right. Mm. With my next one, I'm gonna take anyone who's ever assassinated anybody. Yes, they oh. always become. Oh, the they people. Always, I was thinking the martyr. Knows their name. Mm, okay, John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. Why do you know his name? That's such a good one because I was. I thought you meant like people who got murdered, and that like they were the martyr. You're talking about the person who did the assassination. There's a famous quote, like, if you want to become famous, kill the president. It's, it's something that like that. And there's a second part to it. But <laughs> <laughs> Whoever said that quote needs to be looked into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better be on some watch <laughs> list. That is, that is an aggressive quote. <laughs> no, there was more to it. There was like, if, yeah. If or is wanna... it like something like, if you want to be infamous? I think I might be quoting like, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Let's uh let's move on. I can't believe you picked Jesus. <laughs> I said that there was one home run. That's too bad. All right. So, Theo thought that Vincent's paintings were too dark. This is in like the mid 1880s. Theo Theo basically was like, "Vincent, your paintings are too dark. Nobody wants to buy these cuz they're all sad." Vincent was like, "Yeah, I guess they are too sad." And so he started painting more colorfully. And you can kind of see, if you look at his paintings online, you can kind of see that there's a change. He uses all these drab browns and dark greens and um, color, like really not very colorful things. And he's painting uh, of the portraits that he's painting and things like that. And then he switches to doing much brighter stuff. Yeah, I think his first masterpiece, what people consider his masterpiece, The Potato Eaters, I think that was pretty dark and drab of these people who grew potatoes and then he also when i think of his some dark pictures and kind of dreary when he drew the woman who was a former prostitute that he had a long relationship with and and impregnated her so he had there was also that's another famous painting where yeah very dark kind of downtrodden feel Mm, yeah so he had an idea he lived after he lived with theo in paris he had this grand grand idea that he was going to move to Arles, and um, he he kind of like wanted to start an art colony where he was going to have artists come, and it was going to be this cool like workshop type thing, and they were all and they were going to work together, and they were going to paint, and it was probably and it was just going to be this great journey. Mm-hmm. So, and I believe other artists at the time, it was it was a common practice to do or it was other people had done it before and he kind of had taken off of that and was wanted to do it himself mm-hmm. so he moves to Arles in 1888 he moves into the famous yellow house which which he painted and he invited Paul Gauguin to come and live with him and paint with him and after being a little hesitant at first Gauguin decided he was gonna he was gonna come and he was going to live with Van Gogh, and they were going to paint alongside each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Paul, go Paul. <laughs> he he was very well known and respected at the time, and, and now he's also looked back uh, very highly thought of. Yes, I, when I was when I was reading about this, I recognized the name, and I think a lot of people will. He was a very respected artist at the time, and he's he's still very famous yeah. today. And it shows that if he's willing to go paint alongside Van Gogh that Van Gogh is respected uh, in certain artist circles. So I think Gauguin only painted one painting while they were there together. They they didn't last very long together. That quick? <laughs> one painting? I knew it wasn't long, but man. <laughs> it, he, he did one painting, and it was a portrait of Van Gogh. Wow. Van Gogh had the idea that it was going to be like Gauguin in his, in his chair, and then Van Gogh in his chair. 
So I think Gauguin, like the only painting that he had when they were together was Van Gogh in his chair, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. Because things deteriorated pretty quickly. Very quickly. Yeah, and this was at, at the height of Van Gogh's being malnourished. Supposedly he was eating bread, soup, water, and a lot of absinthe, or drinking a lot of absinthe mm. while he was at the Yellow House. And again, eating the paint when he didn't have enough food otherwise. And absinthe, I believe, is just a very, very high alcoholic drink. And yes. then when you get so malnourished, you can hallucinate and such. Mm. Did you say he ate the paint? Yeah, yeah. He would, when he ran out of food, he would eat the paint. <laughs> what? <laughs> I did not read that. Oh, absolutely. That's like a, absolutely. It's folklore of Van Gogh. I saw that everywhere. <laughs> what? Oh, I, I my god! He was so hungry. That's incredible. That yeah. is incredible. In a not good way. Yeah. <laughs> eating paint. Do not recommend. Do not recommend. So, December of that year, 1888, Van Gogh and Gauguin were were kind of butting heads, and Van Gogh started to think that Gauguin was going to leave. They were, like, fighting a ton, and then there was this huge rainstorm, and yes. they, like... Set the scene, set, set the scene <laughs> for for this this grand dispute, and they... And so they were locked into the house, and they couldn't leave. And then um, Gauguin went for a walk, and that's when and that's when the the infamous kind of story began. So Gauguin goes for a walk. Van Gogh chases him with a with a razor open in his hand. Yeah, and I think in those days a razor is one sharp blade, so very much a weapon. Yeah, very much a weapon. So he chases after Gauguin. Then he goes back into his back into his room, back mm-hmm. in the yellow house. It, and there may have been an altercation with Gauguin where he tried to slice or come at Gauguin, but Gauguin made it out fine. Yeah, Gauguin, he didn't necessarily, I don't know like how much Gauguin like really talked about exactly what happened between the two of them, Yeah, um, which we can get more into. So Van Gogh goes back into his room, he's hearing voices, and then the famous moment happens. Cuts off his left ear with the razor. Yeah. Very famous. And, yeah, who knows how much of his left ear? Who knows why he did it besides just being in this terrible state of it's like a manic depression, state. manic, malnourished, on absence and paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The paint had to do something, had to something to do with but it. It's, it's, it's very drastic. Uh, so he bandages, bandages himself up and then goes to a brothel with the ear wrapped up and he gives it to a woman at the brothel. Yeah. Who knows why? I saw one theory that in bullfighting the matador will cut off the ear and give it to the prettiest lady in the arena or the stands. Mm. So it, it could have been that could have played a role but but who knows why he gave the ear. I have a theory. I'm listening. <laughs> and it's derived from from a quote that I'm about to read. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he's woken up the next morning in in the house by the police. At this point, they can't reattach the ear. They send him to the hospital, and he's basically insane at this point. And Gauguin, instead of, uh, instead of waiting for Van Gogh to wake up, he leaves, and he leaves with this quote, Be kind enough, monsieur, to awaken this man with great care, and if he asks for me, tell him I have left for Paris. The sight of me may, might prove fatal for him. That quote, combined with the brothel and the ear, I think that there was some sort of uh, love triangle type thing going on between Van Gogh Gauguin and someone at this brothel. Wow. And I think that is what, and I think that might have create uh, helped build this tension between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, when Van Gogh snaps in this way, mm-hmm. and then that is how he, in his manic state, kind of behaves. So I, I could see that, and parts of it for sure, Gauguin, I think, was known to be better looking, 
more respected and more successful. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think there was jealousy on Van Gogh's part, both from part of the success and the interest he got from women. I yeah, and then why he would give the ear again is you know this manic state. He's in a, a very dark place. You know, I, it's, t- it's tough to say. And maybe he just this drastic thing happens, and he wants to. Uh, you know, have some human interaction. I I don't know. Um, and obviously, the, he he's in a mental state. I'm fortunate enough to have, not, have never been in, but that is some something to do. Yes. And uh, this, I guess, kind of signals. I guess you could say the downfall for Van Gogh. He in May of 1889, so maybe five months later, six months later, he voluntarily enters an, an insane asylum. In Saint Remy de Provence, and he did a lot of painting there. So he kept painting throughout this time. At one point, he painted his doctor and gave it to him, a portrait of his doctor, because Van Gogh really liked doing portraits, and the doctor hated it. <laughs> Used it to repair a chicken coop. <laughs> I don't even know how you would do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then gave it away. And it's currently valued at over uh, that painting is currently valued at over fifty million dollars. Ooh, so regrettable decision, maybe. <laughs> a year later, Van Gogh is invited to. I I really wish I had. It's Lay XX annual exhibition, which is a, is a huge deal at the time. Yeah, at the, and at the exhibit, Claude Monet called. Van Gogh's exhibit, the best in show. Not bad, so, not bad. So that's that's good praise from your from your peers. Yep. Starting to see a little a little bit of success and recognition now. Yep. So that's in uh, that's in the 1890 range, and then in 1890 he leaves the asylum, and then in on July 27th, 1890, Van Gogh is painting in a field and shoots himself in the chest. And this is another tragic story. (laughs) Yeah. Very tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting happened. So it was while he was painting, I knew it happened in the fields because he always, he paints a lot of fields too. So it was kind of uh, interesting that that is where he shot himself. Mm -hmm. So he was painting at the time. I don't know. I don't know if that's actually true. Okay, uh, yeah. Who I might knows? have just inserted that. But yeah, in a dark spot, shot himself in the chest. Uh, shot himself in the chest and then did not die. He walked into town, found a doctor, and was tended to by two doctors who uh, couldn't get the bullet out. And uh, Theo comes by his side and... After one day, I think they thought he was maybe going to do doing better. He seemed to be in good spirits, and then he deteriorated rapidly and ended up passing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. infection, I believe. But yeah, t- two days after he died. And his last words? Do you know his last words? The sadness will last forever. Which is really sad. <laughs> That's really sad. Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, even more tragic, well, maybe not more tragic, but more tragedy, uh, Theo died a year later. Yeah, that was a, a surprise to me. I mean, Van Gogh died at age 37. Theo's even younger, um, and they are so tied in history and connection and their relationship with each other. Do you know what he died of? Was this syphilis? Theo? Yeah. Uh, No. Yeah, I don't know what he died of. It is one out. The pain. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, sad happened so quick after. So let's get into his legacy. Mm-hmm. Let's touch on some uh some some stuff there. I guess as far as what Van Gogh painted, what he's known for, he painted a lot of portraits. He has self-portraits that mm-hmm. he painted, mm-hmm. some that are really notable. Yeah, and I heard that after the tragedy of the ear, the angle he did the self-portraits, and they have official art terms for this. I don't know what it was. I think it was mm. like three-pointed. But he tended to do mm. a lot more of this angle, and it actually showcased the ear um, after the fact, Yes, which is interesting. But yeah, tons of self-portraits. 
Uh, he also painted a lot of flowers, painted a lot mm-hmm. of landscapes. Yeah. And of course, as we talked about earlier, start, um, he gained more reputation kind of when his when his letters were released. Mm-hmm. And after he died, they did. There were memorial exhibits that were held that displayed his yeah. that displayed his work. But he didn't really rise to um, the super fame that he has mm-hmm. now until after his letters were released yeah. and his uh, and his persona of the of the tragic artist was yeah. kind of cemented. Yeah, and I do know a person who played a huge role in his fame after his death was Theo's wife. She kept all the arts, kept all the art, all the letters, mm-hmm. and you know was very smart and may was. Um, also had some knowledge in dealing with art, and so she played a huge role in gathering all the art and releasing it, and you know, mm-hmm. giving him his his fame. and And now, of course, a lot of those portraits are super valuable. Yes, they are. And uh, so I have his a list in front of me: his five largest art sales. Of his paintings. Mm-hmm. And these are actual sales, right? Someone bought them. It's not just like valued at, correct? These are These are sales. actual sales. Yeah. I have the year that they were sold, the amount, and and the vendor who uh, did the did the auction. Wow. <laughs> Let's hear it. And so we're going to play a little game. <laughs> I'm going to read the name of the painting. Okay. In French. <laughs> and then you are going to guess the name of the painting in English. And then you are going to guess how much it sold for. Wow. Okay. It's five of them. Wow. I, I like this a lot. St- we will start at yep. the the number five. Mm-hmm. The, the fifth, pig's tail. Fifth, <laughs> the fifth most expensive painting. So <laughs> this one is the hardest to say, so maybe I shouldn't have started here. This one is called Nature Mort. Vaz o Marguerite a Kuke Kotz. Kukula Kotz. Absolutely no idea. I heard like Voldemort, Margarita. <laughs> no idea. Still life. Vase with daisies and poppies. Hmm. I think I've actually may have seen that, you know, in elementary school. Okay, this is the fifth lowest. I'm gonna guess a cool forty two million. Fifty-five million dollars at wow. Sotheby's in 2014. Yeah, unreal. Didn't didn't sell this these paintings during his lifetime, but unreal. <laughs> and we're only going up. Someone's making money. Uh, Lal de Aliscamp, the doctor. <laughs> this one is. <laughs> this one was probably uh, Starry Night. <laughs> Pumpkin eaters. <laughs> Lane at Ali's comp. Okay. So that was the most cognate Actually, no, that's not. You you have some other chances up here. Okay. So uh, what do you think that one was sold for? $61 million. $59 million at Sotheby's mm. in New York. I didn't put the date down for that one. Portrait de l'artiste sans barbe. Uh <laughs> can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> no, can you, can you repeat it again? <laughs> the artist portrait, right? Portrait de l'artiste sans barbe. Artist portrait of songs? I don't know. Portrait of the beardless artist. Mm. So that's that's a famous Van Gogh painting where he always had a beard, but in one of his self-portraits he didn't have a beard. Interesting. Hence the name. Aptly named. I'm going to go with... 67 million. Very close. 65 million. Oof. In 1998 at Christie's. Off by two again. Two million. Number two. Laboureur dans un champ. Starry night. <laughs> Trees of. But Starry Night. So Starry Night is not on this list. And it's Starry just Night. Not that's because Starry Night is. Um, it's in New York, and it's in a museum. Yeah, it's in the Museum of Fine Art in New York. Yeah, so th- th- it won't it won't get sold because these are all private sales. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's probably the most valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, 
So the answer's not Starry Night for this one. Yeah. It's Plowman in a Field. Mm, 74 million. 72 million. You're off by two million every time. (laughs) 72 million at Christie's in New York in 2017. So three years ago. And now the last one. This is the most. This is the most cognate. So okay, good. I'm the most four. expensive, and this one's interesting. Mm-hmm. Portrait du Docteur Gachet. Portrait of Doctor Gachet. The portrait of Doctor Gachet. That's correct. Oh, <laughs> bingo! Let's go. And that was actually I think I know this was in the eighties. I'm gonna guess eighty-four million. Eighty-two point five million. Oh, all right, all right. So that was so. The seventy-two million that was in twenty seventeen. The eighty-two point mm-hmm. five million was in nineteen ninety. Yeah, recent. I mean, yeah. And, and they say that um, with inflation, that yeah. the eighty-two point five, that it's like one hundred forty million now. Mm-hmm. And I guess in Japan, in the eighties, there was like this huge art rush, mm. and it culminated in nineteen ninety with Rei Saito. Another mispronunciation yeah. by it, me. Um, who later s- bought it from Christie's, later mm. sold it back nice. for one-eighth of the price. What? <laughs> Not nice. I was about to say, I was wondering if anyone buys these as investments and like later it's going to be worth even more. And, probably. But this guy, it's he like probably hit hard hurts. times and had to sell it. I, would, yeah, I don't know. I think um, one of these was bought by like the Saudi royal family mm. and... Um, I imagine that a lot of them are investments. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it makes you wonder. You have these such valuable paintings in a museum, and I feel like it would be so easy to steal these paintings. You know, find some art dealer who is willing to pay eighty million for this painting. Say, I'll go. You know, give me thirty million of that. I'll go to the security guard, pay him a million, and I'll just walk out of there and steal it. I feel like it's just so valuable. Like How good is the security? Like a heist. And I have... But when? Like, at what point would you heist? So I haven't thought about this is too deeply yet. Um, let's, let's, let's hash this out. Let's figure it <laughs> let's... I mean, c- clearly at, at night. And... <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I got some... I... Wait. Well, I meant like... <laughs> I meant like... Who would you heist it from? Is it? Are we heisting it from Christie's? Not we. The hypothetical. <laughs> is it Christie's that you're heisting it from, or is it the person who bought it who you're heisting it from? No, I'm saying from a museum. You walk from into a museum. a museum. You have some. You have maybe one security guard. It's twelve o'clock at night. You know he, he's not making that much money. You offer him a million. Just look the other way. Offer another million to the I, guy who has the security cameras. I feel like they must have like motion sensors on everything and like touch. Have you seen National <laughs> Treasure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, they pulled it off. All right, so you would think, but I have three examples <laughs> which may make you feel different. Ooh. So the Mona Lisa. Ever heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. So I think the most famous painting ever. I believe this was in the early. 1900s, maybe it's 1913, but an employee snuck it under his shirt and ran out. And the Mona Lisa was gone for two years, and then the person who stole it tried to sell it to an art dealer who tipped it off to the authorities. Really? Of course, they didn't have the technology we have now, but Mm. he put it under his shirt and ran off. Okay, uh, another one, Scream, is the name of the painting, and this was in Norway, 1990. Four men broke in and stole the painting, and they left a note saying, thank you for the poor security. <laughs> and then... That's me. I know. And then... And this, that was kind of recent. 1990, and you can s- steal this million-plus-dollar mm. painting. And also, this same painting, I guess the artist painted several renditions of it. In 2004, two men broke into a different museum in Norway... They stole a different version of the scream, still by the original artist, and held the people working there and the people there at gunpoint. Um, the first one was returned. Okay, so this is my personal favorite in Boston. I was going to say, there was one in Boston uh, yeah. pretty recently, right? Yeah, I think also 1990. Big oh, year for... <laughs> 30 years ago. That's pretty recently. I mean, they still got some technology. Their method, method was some cops showed up 
and told the security there was a disturbance and they had to investigate things, lo and behold, these were fake cops. Fake cops. And they stole Wow, it's like an paintings. Italian job. Yeah, <laughs> worth like five million. Well, have you heard about the the plot to? There was a plot to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I saw that. Yeah, those are those are interesting though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I feel like it would be so hard. But if you went from like the the private. I guess, what's the value, though? Like, would you be able to sell it again? So that's the thing. You need to find someone who's interested beforehand. Maybe you go to some famous art display, and you start talking to people, and you find out they're really interested. They seem like they have a lot of money. Be like, hey, uh-huh. maybe I can get it for you at 40% the cost. Wow. Yeah, like, ooh, I actually heard that. Because it would probably make global news if you if you managed to pull it off. So this person would have to be okay with having this in their house. And having nobody know that they had it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so. it's strange. It's strange. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. That That is uh, <laughs> that's yeah. very interesting. I'll keep an eye out for any uh, missing art. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. What are your big takeaways with Van Gogh? Uh, big takeaways with Van Gogh. I would definitely say nutrition is important. Yeah, yeah, nutrition and your mental health as well. If you can, uh, you know, help that out, which the nutrition helps, but and certainly if if, uh, if he could have been well, better mentally, mm-hmm. you know, there could be a lot more of his paintings out there, and he could have lived a happily happier life. Um, yes, I would definitely say that he he died too young, and should be an example of uh, of someone who should be. And he did try to get help, but I think yeah. um should be looked at as an example of uh, that you should try to get help if you're in a bad place. Yep, yep. Um, other than that, I would say liked his paintings. And he's Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought he was French. Yep, yep. Good to know now. Paz, you want to lead us off with a quote? I do. And before I give this quote, if you guys enjoyed the episode, please rate and review. It uh, it really helps keep keeps us going. The Van Gogh quote to leave you with. I've put my heart and soul in my work and lost my soul in the process.